Welcome to the Business Made Me Do It podcast. Uh, today on the show, we have Garrett White, a real estate investor. He recently got named 30 under 30, uh, the future leaders in Charlotte. Uh, a couple things we talk about, the recipe for success, um, how he kind of generated his own recipe from the knowledge that he was getting and the mentorship he was getting, um, how you can get started in real estate investing with little to no money, and kind of the story behind his 30 for 30 award that he just received. Um, once again, thanks for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave us a review, and uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to the Business Made Me Do It podcast, where we cover marketing, business, and overall growth. Here's your host, Caleb Shore. All right. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Business Made Me Do It podcast, where we cover business, marketing, and overall growth. I am your host, Caleb Shore. As you heard in the intro, I co-founded Conversion Stream, a digital advertising agency built for the small brick-and-mortar business. So today we have on the podcast... Uh, one of my good buddies, Garrett White, he is the president and managing member of White Real Estate Investment Firm, which has over 1 million in assets. He also holds the same titles in the White Oak Property Group, which is a land acquisition, acquisition business focused on acquiring premier hunting land throughout the U.S., and he is also co-owner of First Place Turf, a landscaping business with over 100 customers in the North Charlotte market. And on top of that, he was recently named Charlotte's top 30 under 30 future leaders of Charlotte. Garrett, man, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, dude. Yeah, super excited Super excited about this. I know we've kind of went back and forth. I've, I've wanted to get you on for a couple months now. So yeah, appreciate your time today. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. So first things first, where can people go uh, to find a little bit more about you, what you're up to, um, kind of what you're, what you're doing? Yeah, man. So a good place to start would be um, whiteinvestors.com. That's whiteinvestors with an S.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, if you want to reach me directly, you can email me at garrett at whiteinvestors.com. And those would be your best options. Cool, man. Um, so as you heard in the intro, Garrett, you're, you're up to a lot of different things. How, kind of give me a, you know, a couple minute intro with how, it got, how you got all started. Yeah, man. So I guess the journey for me started when I was probably um, around 20 years old. I was at NC State and I was majoring in engineering at the time. Wasn't exactly passionate about it, but um, it fell in line with my skill set. Um, around that time, I met a couple of guys at the gym I was working out with at the time, and um, it seemed like they had a lot of flexibility, um, looked like they um, just were able to do whatever they would like to do on a given day. And so I started digging a little bit deeper, um, talking to those guys, found out they were real estate investors, um, I hopped in their back pocket, learned everything I could from them um, shortly after bought. Um, my first duplex and it was off to the races from there. Nice. How, how much time was that from you meeting them to buying your first duplex? A couple months, a couple years? Ah, uh, so I'm thinking it was probably a little over a year. Um, so the big challenge I ran into initially was, um, not having, um, a W-2 income or a history of W-2 income. So it took me getting a job with Duke Energy and being able to show that to the lender before they were able to loan to me for the duplex. But um, I would say it was maybe a little over a year 
little over a year. I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, that's not very long. Um, so you essentially saw the opportunity in real estate investing. You, you, you're seeing these guys, you know, have a lot of flexibility with their time, um, kind of do what they want to do. And then you're like, Oh, the writing's on the wall. Like, what do you guys do? How, how can I learn from you? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's something, um, I'm a huge proponent for is, um, finding a mentor, finding someone who's been there, done that. They can shorten your learning curve. They can give you a roadmap for success so that you know what you need to be doing on any given day. You can plug into the relationships. Um, it just shortens your learning curve. Um, and so, yeah, like you mentioned, real estate became a passion for me, but at the time, looking back when I was probably 20 years old, all I really wanted to do at that time was find a way to hunt for a Eleven. You know, hunting has always been a huge passion of mine. And if you talk to anybody, I'll talk your ears off when it comes to anything <laughs> hunting related. But, um, you know, that's something you actually hear a lot is people talking about pursuing their passion. And to me, based on my experience, I don't necessarily think you can always pursue your passion, but I do think you should pursue opportunities that could become your passion. And so for real estate, I saw that it was an opportunity for having a flexible work schedule, um, an opportunity to create passive income that would allow me to take off and go hunting for a week or two at a time. And so what I was doing was a lot less important to me than why I was doing it. And through that process, it became a passion. And today I enjoy hunting for deals and dollars just as much as I do deer and turkey. <laughs> That's good. Um, and we were talking a little in the intro with, um, I, I know you're a reader. I'm a reader as well. And I think a lot of listeners are as well. So like you had mentioned all these books, they give you kind of a roadmap, kind of all the ingredients as you had mentioned with success, but how do you kind of correlate all the ingredients and then putting it all together for, for a recipe of success? Yeah, man. Like you mentioned, um, I've, in my early 20s, I felt empty after every book I read. So many personal development books out there that just throw the ingredients at you with no recipe for how to put it all together. And so I felt like I had all the puzzle pieces, but I didn't know what I was trying to make at the end of the day. So I've come up with um, four or five little tips or um, steps in order that has worked for me based on my experiences. And um, like I said, a lot of people say, where do I start? You know, I'm 22 years old or I'm 23 years old. I want to eventually have real estate myself or I want to do this, whatever it is, it's the same process, no matter what you're trying to do. So step one is know what you want, know why you want it. You've got to get really clear about who you are and how you tick. Um, for me, you know, we obviously live in a politically correct society, but I've never been much on political correctness. So I'll tell you, for me, it started with prayer and spending time in the word. You know, um, uh, my belief is that he is, you know, the creator and he's got a manual called the Bible that you can spend. And, you know, what better place to look than the person that created you. And so um, that, that was one thing that I, I did in the beginning was spend a lot of time there in my faith and religion. Um, if you're not a religious person, um, me and you have talked a lot about the power of journaling, you know, um, whatever it is, it's just finding ways to be intentional about your life. That, that sums it up pretty well is be intentional 
Um, I, I like to use the car analogy. You know, you are the car, but to get to get somewhere, you need two things. You need a destination and you also need fuel. So clarity for you is going to be a destination, having an end result. Um, your car can have all the fuel in the world, but if you don't have a destination in mind, you're going to end up going all over the world and not in, not ever ending up where you actually wanted to be. So, um, clarity is your destination. Um, the next thing is, um, and the other thing about clarity, you know, misconception is a lot of times people think that um, clarity comes to you. Like you figure out your passion through this just um, aha moment or what have you. Based on the experiences I've had, um, clarity is active and it's earned through trying a lot of different things in your 20s. And based on those experiences, figuring out, hey, this isn't exactly what I'm passionate about. Or, you know, maybe this is. So I'm going to do a little bit less of this and I'm going to do a little bit more of this. And after a while, you're able to refine who you are and what, what type of things you enjoy and maybe what things, types of things you maybe don't enjoy. So um, that, that's step one. And as far as knowing what you want, um, the next thing is knowing why you want it. Um, so you hear people talk a lot about willpower. And to me, I think why power is a greater force than willpower. Um, you need to know your desires. You need to know your disgust. You need to know your pains. You need to know your pleasures, um, the things that push you and the things that pull you. And you need to be able to define your heaven and you need to define your hell. Um, enough good. Uh, I think it was Jim Rohn who said it um, best. Enough good reasons um, can change your life. And so it goes back to what I talked about with um, passion is um, knowing what you want is important, but knowing why you want it is just as important, if not more. So um, that's, that's step one. Know what you want, know why you want it. Um, we'll go on into the next step, um, which is belief, because you read about belief a lot and having faith, things like that. Um, you hear things and like I said, in my early twenties, I was reading and it, it's a lot of it just sounded hokey pokey to me, you know, make affirmations, do a vision board, do this. And it just, it never really dawned on me, you know, what it was really trying to get at. But for me personally, like I've talked about with my faith, if you can't believe in yourself in the beginning, because to be honest, um, you're probably not going to have all the skill sets you need to accomplish big, hairy, audacious goals. Yep. So um, it's having something or someone that's bigger than you that you can believe in. But once again, if you're not someone who is of the religious type, um, it can start with it's possible. Um, I've hit on having a mentor and the power of having a mentor is possible comes when you realize if someone has done it, then I can do it. I've just got to figure out what they've done and how they've done it. And then I've just got to go about emulating it. And um, so those are a couple of things for me as far as belief. Um, something else I would say is just like clarity, it's earned. It's not passive. So belief and self-worth um, begins with getting started, doing what you can do with where you're at. And as you take action, you'll find that um, you'll find that as you get results, you 
you gain more confidence and you feel more self-worth and that breeds more belief, which breeds more action, which breeds more results. And it becomes kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy um, over time. Um, uh, Another part of belief, you hear people say, pay attention to what your circle looks like. Um, I would just say, I wouldn't say change your circle completely, but I would say um, spend less time with people that aren't encouraging, spend more time with people that are. Um, For me personally, I've never had someone who had accomplished um, more than what I had accomplished that told me there was something I can't do. Um, That has typically only come from um, people who maybe have their own self limitations. And from my experience, um, it's just those people are simply projecting those insecurities or perceived limitations on you. It's not necessarily personal, but um, spending less time with people that aren't encouraging and more time with people that are encouraging um, has went a long ways for me as far as belief. Um, the third step I'd say is plan the work. That goes back to having a mentor. Um, your mentor, they're going to give you the roadmap. They're going to give you confidence. Um, they buy you speed and they um, are also going to serve as kind of like positive peer pressure. You know, in high school, your mom or dad tells you, hey, be careful who you pay or who you're around. Well, having a mentor that are doing the right things on a daily basis, it's going to inspire you to do that same thing. You know, you're going to want to grow with those with that mentor. Um, as far as having a mentor, though, I would say, make sure you pick the right mentor, you know, um, success is relative and everybody's got their own definition, but you really need to consider looking past just the financial aspect. Um, my opinion is if the only way, um, your mentor has been successful is because is at the expense of their relationships, their faith, um, their physical health, then maybe you need to reconsider if they've actually been as as successful as you've um, always thought they were. So find the mentor that has been successful, however you define it, in all ways. And that way, as you're modeling their success and taking the same actions as they are, you realize that you're not giving up one aspect of your life um, in exchange for another piece, whether it be financial or career or what have you. So, Um, That's plan the work. Um, Step four is work the plan. Um, I'm about to be 29 years old. Um, I can tell you, we we spoke a little bit earlier. Um, Personally, I think your 20s are a great time to keep your head down and go to work. Um, It's not the only time. I think you can accomplish goals and chase dreams any time in your life. But the reason I think your 20s are one of the best opportunities is it's the one time that you've got a little bit more time and a little bit more energy than you will later on in life. And it's also, especially before you have a wife or kids and added responsibilities, it's one of the last times you're going to get to take risks that maybe you wouldn't feel comfortable taking once you have a kid and family and people that you've got to consider in the um, decision-making process. Um, something else, um, regarding working the plan. Um, I think worth work life balance is somewhat of a myth. Um, I think your twenties is, I I believe life is kind of like seasons. So you think of like a farmer, um, a farmer has 
a certain time span that they've got to get the seed in the ground if they're going to have a successful harvest. And during that time, you pay attention. Farmers are working day in, day night. They're putting in 16, 18 hour days. They're working till 1 a.m. They know that they've got a limited time frame. And so to me, you've got to take advantage of the opportunity of a lifetime in the lifetime of the opportunity. And you've got to recognize that there are seasons to really put the pedal down and focus on your personal growth and working hard and doing things like that. And then also recognize that there's going to be a time later where you're able to enjoy the fruits of your harvest or what have you. But, um, and going back to what I was speaking on earlier about um, your twenties being a great time to do it. To me, if you're going to make a sacrifice, it's, it's a little bit easier to sacrifice a weekend out at the bar with your friends um, in your 20s than it is to sacrifice a ball game with your son later on in life. So to me, like I said, work-life balance is a myth, and your 20s are a great time to hustle and put in the work. Um, there's a quote if you want to look good in front of thousands, you've got to outwork thousands in front of no one. Um, I believe that's so true. Um, you know, if you've got big goals, you're going to have to outwork people and you're going to have to outlast them as well. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think of anything else. I've, I've got a list of notes here, but I'm wanting to make sure I hit them. Um, oh, as far as in your 20s, you know, it's so easy to have... Uh, you always hear fake it till you make it. And, you know, we live in this social media society where, you know, it's a lot of it's based on attention. Um, uh, a great mentor of mine, um, Jason and David Benham, um, they say you should seek first to be developed before you're discovered. So your twenties, um, instead of just, you know, spending so much time trying to pretend like you're someone you're not, I would encourage you to keep your head down um, work hard and um, only after you've got some results only then come up and um, share those share that story or share that success with others um, I think that does a couple of things um, I think for one it allows you to stay leaner longer so you want to stay as lean as you can for as long as you can and you know when we have this um, mindset that we need to be someone we're not in our early 20s. You know, sometimes that comes at the expense of feeling like we need to drive a car that maybe we can't afford yet or wear clothes that we shouldn't be or we know better. So, um, like I said, just focus on being developed first and then being discovered will take care of itself as you're able to get results for people and add value to people's lives. Um, and finally, the fifth step. So, so far we've talked about, I'll just run you through steps one through four. It's, um, I've shared um, know what you want, know why you want it. That's step one. Step two is belief. Uh, step three is plan the work. Step four is work the plan. And finally, step five is just persistence and consistency. So, um, the, the mantra here is, is continuous progression, not immediate perfection. Um, I would say from a momentum standpoint, you know, if you've got a full-time job or what have you, whatever the case may be, just try to do, if anything, just try to do at least one thing a day that gets you a little bit closer to your dreams. 
And um, you'll find over time it becomes exponential as they start stacking on top of each other. Um, also going along with that, just remember you're playing the long game. Um, like I've mentioned, if you want to outperform, you've got to outlast. And to outlast, you've got to be at least passionate about what you do or why you do it. So um, that would be another thing. And then finally, the consistency piece is show up every day, do that one thing at least. And inevitably, at some point when you begin to feel burnout or um, you know, just like when you first go to the gym, the first couple weeks is good, but then after a while you lose that momentum, I would encourage you to go back through the steps that we just talked about. Remember what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, reiterate belief and then go back to the plan. What is the plan? And then how can we execute the plan and then just continue to persist? Yeah. Uh, wow. That was super powerful. <laughs> um, I, a couple things I wanted to kind of circle back on Garrett is I think a lot of people when that, whenever they start even creating that plan is like a speed, a speed bump. It's like, how do I create a plan? I don't even know what I want to do, but it's like to create a plan. You have to think critically about where you want to be, what you want to do, uh, who you want to be around. Like it's, it really is a fundamental piece of taking the next step. May it be your personal life, your your business life, um, wherever it is, but creating a plan. You, you talked a lot about working the plan, creating the plan. Um, a couple couple things I wanted to to kind of touch on as as you go through. Mentor buys you speed. That that is very very powerful and very true. I'm I'm a big proponent on learning, buying courses, um, buying masterminds, being around the people that you want to be like. You know, they if they're five years ahead of you great. They're going to shave off a lot of your learning curve. So that was, that was really powerful. Um, I'm sure everyone's heard it. You're, you're the average of five people you spend the most time with. Um, you had mentioned Thank that you. as well. Sur surround yourself with people you want to be around. And you obviously did that. You were, you were in a great spot. What were you 20 years old when you found those people at the gym? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. 20 years old. And it was just by circumstance that, um, or happenstance that I met those guys, but, um, I saw what kind of, um, just blessing those guys were for me. And ever since, you know, I was like, if this has worked in this, you know, realm, then how, where else can having a mentor, you know, work? And it, like I said, it goes back to what we spoke about, um, being intentional, you know? Yep. You could have easily, not went up to those people, not went up to those guys and picked their brain about what they're doing. You know, you could have easily been intimidated or just wanted to, you know, stay on the treadmill or wherever you were, but you took that action at 20 years old, which I feel like not a lot of people would have done at that point in their life. So kudos to you. It's, it's obviously um, taking you on a, on a ride and transformed the next, I mean, eight, nine years of your life and probably the rest of your life. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Um, Work, work life myth is a balance. Um, I'm, I'm along the same school of thought, uh, there it's, it's very hard to do, right? It's like you're working a ton in your twenties. Um, it's, it's very hard to have a work life balance. Um, work, one thing I know, work like a farmer in your twenties. That's good. Um, yeah. just planting all those seeds, um, right now 
as quickly as possible. Um, I, I don't know the farming terms, but getting them in the ground, watering them, making sure they have everything they need right now and putting the work in now is going to exponentially help you in the future. There, there's a book, it's actually behind me called The Slight Edge. I don't know if, I don't know if you've Absolutely. read it, Gary. Oh Absolutely. man, such, such a good book about- Who is that, Jeff? Jeff Olson. Uh, yep, that's it. Yeah, Jeff Olson. Um, that one blew my mind. So uh, long story short on that, it's, it's essentially how do, you, how do you get 1% better every day? Um, and over, over the course of, I think it's like a year, it's a substantial amount of progress you've made just from being 1% better every day. So be consistent, um, consistently do what, where you want to go. Just like Garrett said, do one thing a day to get you closer to where you want to go. So Man, that was, that was super powerful. Um, I definitely wanted to touch on this 30 under 30. Uh, how, how did that come about? You know, what, what kind of process and, and story behind that, man? That's, that's awesome. No, thank you, man. It was uh, definitely a blessing. Um, so uh, basically, the, uh, it's something that someone nominates you for, and it's based on leadership qualities. It's based on your resume and entrepreneurship, or even in the corporate structure. It's based on your community service, um, and there are a couple other things I'm, I'm trying to mention. Maybe like um, your contributions to, you know, the community things like that. But um, yeah, essentially, someone nominates you, and then you go through this process um, where they weed you down and um, based on the initial applicants or what have you and applications they're looking at, they get you down to a certain number. Then they reach out to you personally, ask you some questions, um, hone in your resume a little bit more. And then they're going to go back and verify that um, you have accomplished what you're claiming to have accomplished or what have you. And they're talking to references, things like that. And then from there they announce the 30 and just recently, in fact, my family and a best buddy of mine um, that I'm in business with, we um, had a um, banquet or what have you where they announced the winners. We were able to meet everyone and then also um, we're able to get this, you know, nice plaque or what have you recognizing your accomplishment. Nice, man. Congrats. Congrats. Um, that's, Thank you, man. That's, Thank that's you. a huge, huge kind of plaque on your wall. And um, we, we had touched on it earlier where you kind of felt like you weren't really worthy. Um, it's kind of the vibe that I got from you, Garrett. For every, every listener out there, everybody has that feeling. I feel it every day, like kind of that imposter syndrome. It's like, am I really worthy of, you know, closing this deal or starting my own business or, you know, investing in real estate or whatever it may be. Everybody feels that. So you have to understand that everybody feels that and then continue to chug along because everyone has been there. Everyone continues to get that. Even the uber successful people in whatever industry, I'm sure they, they feel that. So Garrett, um, a couple couple questions for you. So if somebody wanted to get, so you're big into real estate. Um, one thing we actually haven't even touched on Garrett has a full-time job at Duke energy, um, full-time job. So, uh, this, this is essentially quote unquote, his side businesses, side hustle, whatever you want to call it. So we haven't even touched on, um, the kind of stigma around how do you juggle a full-time job versus, you know, doing all these things on the side? So that's one thing that um, I should have mentioned in the intro, but yeah, man, how, how do you kind of balance all of that? 
Very delicately. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so with my full-time job is typically we either work three twelves or four twelves. So you're looking at 36 to 48 hours. I'm driving about an hour one way each day. So you've got two hours of commuting time. So that's one place where it starts is um, you're commuting, you know, that's six to eight hours a week on the road where I'm going to be trying to educate myself. I listen to audible, um, listen to podcasts, just trying to get as much specialized knowledge on my industry, on personal growth, things like that. Also catching up on relationships. I use that time to take calls. But um, the cool thing about working the 12 hour shift is like I said, you're only working three to four days a week. And so the other three to four days, that's where I'm spending in quote unquote my side hustles or what have you. And so typically I try to batch task. I, um, maybe one day I'll spend, um, just focused on white Oak property group or what have you, and just keeping the land business going. And the next day I might focus just on white real estate investment firm. But the big thing I would say, um, as far as balancing is, in every business, it seems like there are three to five most vital functions, things that need to be done, things that are important. They're your money-making activities. So your job, and like I said, that's where having a good mentor and someone to talk with and you know, look at their experiences, you've got to identify those three to five activities, and then you've got to schedule them. One way or another, even if nothing else gets done in that business, those three to five um, outputs must be accomplished. And so, um, everything else, you know, you're going to have administrative things that still need to get done, but the reality is the three to five are the most important. The other tasks, the administrative tasks, that's where you're going to want to bring on some help. You know, those are the tasks that you can pay someone, um, eight to $15 an hour and pick up someone on Fiverr or Upwork. You know, those are great places to find talent that can do data entry tasks. Um, you're um, just trying to think data input, um, you're sending mailers, um, following up with buyers or sellers. You know, those are the types of tasks you want to delegate as quickly as possible. And if you've got a full-time job and it's paying you pretty well, you need to look at it in fairly simplistic terms. If you can make say 30 to 20 to $40 an hour and you can um, delegate a task and pay someone eight to $15, um, that, that's just kind of like an arbitrage situation that you're going to want to pay someone there and if anything else, maybe you just spend an extra hour in your um, full-time job um, to create the extra additional funds to pay someone that. So, yep, yep. And that's that's one thing we were talking about earlier. Is I've tried to you know be the jack of all trades, um, but it, it turns out you can't scale your time. You can't scale really anything if if you're a one-man show. Um, and Garrett, obviously, you're you're along those same same kind of school of thought. Um, I was asking you before the show how many people you had in each individual business and, and he was anywhere from three to four in each individual business. So he's not managing everything for one thing at all. So it's, it's all a team effort and that's what really frees up your time and gives you the ability to go out and, you know, do the things that you want to do. If you, if you have other team members you know, handling the day to day with you, that gives you the opportunity to do it. So that's, that's awesome. Um, question for you, Garrett, 
if somebody wants to get into real estate investing and has little money, how do they do it? Um, so the train of thought is, you know, you need three things. Um, it's the triangle, I guess, of real estate. It's time, hustle, and, or let's say it'd be um, the hustle, the knowledge, and the capital. So you need two out of those three things. Or, so for example, if you don't have the money, you need to have the hustle and you need to have the knowledge. And you need to partner with someone who does have the capital. So there are a lot of people out there, and I tell this to you know as many people as will listen, but there are a lot of people out there that love the idea of real estate investing, but they don't know about it. And they've got the money to invest in it, but they don't understand it. So you fill that gap by having the time to spend um, managing the properties and identifying the properties and you know buying the deals, and you have the knowledge on how to do it, and like I said, you're just going to partner with someone who does have the capital and you're going to create some type of partnership there. Yeah. Knowledge, hustle, capital. You need two of the three. That's it. That's, that's awesome. Um, and uh, we actually didn't talk about this. Are you taking investors currently? Like if someone says, Hey, I have a hundred grand to invest. I have the capital, um, have the hustle, but don't have the knowledge. Could someone write you a check for that? And you guys go and, um, put that money to work? Yeah, absolutely. So what we do is called the syndication model. Um, we take what's called accredited and sophisticated investors. There are um, SEC guidelines that tell us what we can and can't do, but essentially it's um, called 506B and 506 offer, or excuse me, 506B and 506C offerings. So um, an accredited investor is someone that fits the one, two, three rule is someone that either has a million dollar net worth excluding their primary residence, or they have made over $200,000 a year the last two years with the expectations of making 200,000 again this year. Um, if they're filing single and the three comes in, if you are filing jointly with the spouse or what have you and you've got to have 300,000 for the last two years if you're filing like I said jointly there so it's the one two three either one million net worth excluding your residence 200,000 if you're um, filing single or 300,000 if you're filing you know as a couple and are you taking non-accredited investors yeah currently? so that yeah so that's where a 506b offering comes in and that's sophisticated investors so a sophisticated investor is a non-accredited investor, so someone that doesn't meet the one, two, three rule, but they have some type of background in real estate or business. So, and a lot of that is a really gray area, but essentially, and it's also going to be someone um, that you've got a prior pre-existing relationship with. So take like me and you, for example, you, if you, um, if you didn't meet the accreditation criteria, but I've got a pre-existing relationship with you. We've played ball against each other all through school. We've kept up with each other. And I can tell the SEC, based on Caleb's background, you know, he, he knows business. He, he's studying real estate. He's, you know, um, doing some different ventures that are in the real estate realm. Um, he meets the criteria for a sophisticated investor. And I can bring you on if I can make that case. Gotcha. Okay. So is there any capital requirement for, let's just say a non-accredited investor that's someone that's interesting? 
No. So that's going to more depend on the investment firm themselves. So like, for example, a lot of our offerings are going to be um, a $50,000 minimum. So um, you've got to invest at least $50,000 in the deal that we're um, marketing or what have you. Um, but there are certain companies that will go down to 10,000 and 25,000 It's just all dependent on more of the company's preference there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Uh, totally makes sense. I, I knew there was like different levels. I didn't know to, to what detail. Um, and is it, this might be a dumb question, but is it similar to, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Grant Cardone, his kind of fund. Is it similar to that or, or totally different? Yeah, it's fairly similar. The return structure is a little bit different. Um, something else that's different is, so our offerings are deal by deal. So you invest in a de- or invest say fifty thousand. It's only going to be after I show you the specific deal, the specific location. You're going to know everything about that location, that deal, and the numbers and everything. Um, what Grant Cardone's doing is more of like a blind fund pool where you're putting money collectively in like what's what would be like a fund and he might buy he might use that capital to buy a property six months from now or or it could be like spread over four or five properties so it's a little bit different model Um, the main thing being you know exactly what asset your capital is being allocated towards with our model versus his it's going to be in a whole pool of assets. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's like, okay, here's my money. Um, use it when you want to use it versus you, you'll know all the details, you'll know the projected return. Um, probably even know the location as well. I'm sure, I'm sure yeah. it's majority is local. Yeah, absolutely. We focus primarily in the Carolinas. We really like North of Charlotte, but we're look we're looking also in um, the Raleigh MSA, also Greenville, South Carolina. Um, those are our three major MSAs that we target. But um, and and really, it depends on the size of the asset as well. We can go a little bit smaller um, the closer we are, just because we've got boots on the ground here in Charlotte. So. Um, so an asset maybe in Greenville, we would probably want to focus on an asset with um, this probably 50 to 75 units or greater just so that we can support a third property or excuse me, a third party property management company. Yep. And what, what portion is it residential versus commercial for you? Uh, so, I mean, I've got some assets now that are residential, like some duplexes and things I've acquired on my own, but going forward, it's going to mainly or basically a hundred percent be multifamily um, and or commercial assets. So just here in October of last year, um, I shared with you before the podcast, um, just struggling to find deals that make sense from a financial standpoint um, in the multifamily space. Mm-hmm. So we actually pivoted and bought a, um, a commercial building retail office space and then some warehouse space in the back um, in downtown Mooresville. Um, so we're, we're not afraid of looking outside of just the multifamily asset class. We, we really have a strong team and um, great relationships in multifamily. But um, the important thing is, you know, you're an entrepreneur first and investor second. So if the underwriting criteria that you've got in place, if you're not able to find deals that meet it, instead of changing your underwriting criteria, um, maybe you pivot a little bit in your business plan altogether. Gotcha. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on COVID. 
um, related to the the commercial commercial space? Because I'm sure that has changed in the past, you know, eight, nine, ten months. Yeah. So a lot of moving pieces there, and you almost have to break it down um, per the asset class. Like the office space is obviously getting hit pretty hard as businesses realize that um, they could, you know, have people work from home. Um, the co-working space, kind of the same deal there. Um, retail, you know, obviously same thing. Um, so it, yeah, it all depends on the asset class. You're seeing a lot of people right now. Um, a lot of investors that are taking like hotels and reconverting them to multifamily. So that's what a lot of what you're going to see going forward is, um, people taking existing assets and just repurposing in them. And, um, I think there's always opportunity in every difficulty. So the key is just being agile and um, recognizing where the trends are going and um, just being creative, getting outside of the box and trying new things. Yep. Yep. Cool, man. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm wishing you the best on that front. I, I, I think it'll kind of clear out within the next uh, short little bit. So I'm, I'm hoping that for, for you as well. A um, couple questions and we'll, we'll get into the, uh, the rapid fire round. How, how do you, so everybody's got kind of a, a different meter of success, but how, how would you classify being successful? Uh, wow, that's a tough one, man. Put me on the spot. <laughs> man, for me, it's, it's not really financial. It's, um, it starts with the spiritual side, you know, what kind of person I am and as far as, you know, my relationship with Christ and then from there, it just kind of branches out to my relationships and my faith and my family, friends, um, finances would be a fourth F there. But um, it, it, for me, it's the seven pillars is spiritual growth, it's physical growth. So like your diet, your um, health, physical health, it's your mental side. It would be your relationships um, financial career and then lifestyle, like the life you're able to live. So those are the seven pillars that I've, I've used to measure my success. And like I said, within each, uh, category, I've got a different measuring stick, but, um, yeah, is that, does that even, does that even does. answer? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, and that's, that's one thing that I still kind of struggle with. It's like, how, how do you dictate success? You know, and I know from a business perspective, it's a lot about, you know, revenue or, you know, KPIs, but I think it more boils down to you as a person, like everybody's version of success is a little bit different. So I always, I always like to ask that question. There's, there's no wrong answer. Um, yeah. so I, I, I'm, Go ahead. I can tell you this. So from a financial standpoint, my meter is probably a little bit different than others. I, I look at it more as a journey than a destination in that front. And so to me, it's about establishing the right habits. And like I said, the three to five major outputs that move the needle. So I can't control. I, I tell this to my team a lot with the real estate investment firm. We can't control if the deal is there or if, if the numbers make sense based on what the market's given us, all we can tr control are our three to five major outputs, which is staying in touch and marketing and um, staying in touch with our investors, doing the same thing with our brokers and sourcing the deals and um, you know, having relationships with our lenders. All we can do is focus on the effort 
And at some point, you're just going to have to trust the process, trust God, trust whoever it is with the results. So like I said, it's, for me, it's more about the habits and the day-to-day and just trusting those, that process will get you to ultimately to the outcome that you're looking for. But for me, when you make a goal based on, um, you know, your revenue or, um, you know, a lot of people in real estate, they want to have X amount of doors by this date. The problem with that is at what cost? You know, you can get that many doors, but what if it comes at the cost of um, you breaking your underwriting rules and you're overpaying for deals and you're taking on more risk than you wanted to and you end up in a world of trouble? You accomplished your goal, but is that really what you wanted to do? So I think I think you got to find a happy medium there. It's great to have a long-term goal, but um, at the end of the day, you can't control all of these things always. And if yeah. you and if you do, you're going to end up forcing things that you shouldn't be forcing in. The, you know, even to begin with. Yeah. So. Yeah. Stick to the process. Trust the process, and trust. Yeah. Trust the inputs and yeah. you know, being able to measure those. Uh, all right, man, that, that was awesome. So let's, let's get into the rapid fire round. Um, Garrett has no idea what questions are coming, um, but we'll just, we'll just kind of roll through them. Uh, what's one thing not many people know about you? Um, I am a, well, especially the business, my business friends, most people don't know that I am a previous state champion and Southeast regional Turkey calling champion. And you may, <laughs> you may not also know that I can, um, that I wrote a children's book called, um, a boy's best friend when I was 20 or 21 years old, um, just to share my passion for the outdoors with kids. I know back when I was, um, younger, there wasn't many books out for the boys. It was more of the Cinderella type stuff. So I wanted to, um, create something that would, you know, maybe have an impact for, um, boys of that age. Nice. Nice. If you had an additional hundred thousand dollars that you had to spend in your business right now, where would you put it? Probably marketing. So right now, probably marketing and also maybe just, um, uh, as far as the white Oak property group goes, um, having someone that's really good on the disposition side and like maybe acting as a closing transactor, um, that would move the needle a lot so that I could just focus more on keeping my um, team trained up and giving them all of the steps to success that they need. Nice. Uh, what's one thing you're excited about right now? Could be any, anything. Well, it's November the 9th and it's currently the deer rut. And here in about <laughs> a week, I've been hustling hard because here in about a week, I'm going to be going to Ohio with my business partner in the landscaping business and we're going to hopefully <laughs> uh, kill a big old deer. Nice, nice. What is something I didn't ask you but I should have? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, maybe, let's see. Hmm. Maybe just hit on a little bit more as far as like um, being a contrarian investor. So something that's happened here recently that, you know, impacts everyone to some degree, regardless of political affiliation is the election. And so um, learning how to pivot regardless of what the market gives you. Um, I talked about how, um, well, I actually didn't share this. So with the multifamily, I talked about how the deals weren't penciling. And instead of changing our underwriting criteria, um, 
we focused on changing the business plan. Um, it's knowing when to pivot. And like I said, that's what ended up, um, getting me into the land business. It was an area or an asset class that was largely overlooked. You know, there's a lot of people flipping houses, a lot of people in multifamily, a lot of people in all of these areas. Land was one area that was largely overlooked. So, um, it's just knowing when to zig and knowing when to zag and figuring out where, um, where a lot of tension is being, or excuse me, where a lot of attention is and getting away from the noise and finding somewhere that's overlooked where you can, you know, have an impact. Yep. Yep. That's so essentially the land business spawned out of yeah. essentially a, a need. You, yeah, you saw exactly. something under, under, um, overlooked. And then I was like, Oh, okay, let's just create another business model and just focus on that one. That's it. It's, it's instead of, like I talked about with goals, instead of forcing deals that maybe didn't work according to our underwriting is realizing the ultimate need. There was a need for cash flow, and realize and thinking, what are some other things I can be doing um, to create that cash flow Delta I'm looking for that other people aren't considering right now. And then going a little bit further is, um, it's like we talked about with your, um, your marketing business is niching down and finding your blue ocean where you can make the biggest impact and basically eliminate the competition. So don't just go where the competition isn't, but when you get to that point, the reason we went from multifamily to the land was to get away from competition. But the reason I've niched down to um, focusing primarily on premier hunting land is because that's an area that I've got some expertise and have some relationships. And so even if you're in the land business and you're super competitive in the land business, if you're going to come to my ball field and compete with me in <laughs> hunting, that's where you're going to have an issue. So it's finding whatever that niche is, that blue ocean, whatever that is, where you can go that you would welcome any competition. It's your home field advantage. Yep. Nice. Nice. Um, so the, the podcast is called business made me do it. What is one crazy thing business has made you do? Hmm, man. What has business made me do? Well, uh, I guess from a real estate standpoint, business has made me evict tenants who were trying to concoct a meth lab in my duplex and caught it on fire and wow. I had to put out a fire. So that was a cool story. Um, man, business, <laughs> I, I could, I could go Some in a break, lot of breaking bad type stuff. Yeah, man. It makes you, it makes you a little bit street smart. You know, you learn at a young age, Hey, that battery right there that they were breaking apart, that's because there's lithium in it. And that lithium's a precursor for, um, meth or what have you. So wow. you learn that's all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> uh, what, what's your favorite app on your phone? No one's heard about. Um, Oh, I got you one. Um, so this is a new one I just found. So if, you are, let me see, I'm looking at my phone now to make sure I get this right. Uh, so it's called Transcribe. And so if, if you're the type that eventually wants to write a book or write a blog, what have you, I talked about how I try to be productive with my commutes back and forth to work. It's called Transcribe. And what it is, is this audio recording, you talk into your phone and it transcribes it for you automatically. 
and spits it out as a um, like a it exports it as a like a PDF file and a couple other things. So I actually got that tip from um, Joe Rogan's podcast with Kevin Hart. He was talking about how Kevin Hart has such a crazy grind and they was talking about how do you have time to write a book? And he said, every time I have an idea or something that I think would be insightful in a book or what have you, I get on this transcribe app and I say whatever I want to, you know, whatever is on my mind and it automatically transcribes it and I export it. And then later on down the road, then I can go and, you know, um, edit it a little bit and make it sound a little bit more word friendly. So yeah. Pass it off to the, to the copywriting team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. There's a, there's one I've heard of called rev R E V dot com. They have an app as well that does something similar. Um, that that's really cool. So, uh, you kind of understand my philosophy with what, what I'm trying to go with, with the podcast, who should I interview next? Who should you interview next? One of the, all right. So I've got two guys. Um, one is, a a great business mind and he's also just a great guy. Um, it's the Benham twins, um, Jason and David Benham. Um, another one, a really cool guy uh, and a hunting friend of mine. Um, he's done a lot of things in the ATM space and, um, has had over 3000 apartments. He's also wrote, um, chicken coop or building chicken coops for dummies. I mean, he's been all over the place, <laughs> but his name is Dave Zook. He's out of Pennsylvania and he would be a great guy to talk to as far as, um, basically uh, finding great teams and great operators to partner with and put capital with, um, so that you can do things similar to what I've done with, um, the first place turf where you bring the capital and you partner with an experienced team and um, create some passive cash flow through businesses. Nice. Nice. That's yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, and then, you know, one more time, where can people go to find more about, you know, your businesses and, and you as a, as a, as a person as well? Yeah, man. Um, I would say start with whiteinvestors.com. You can also email me at Garrett at whiteinvestors.com. Um, you can reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, those would be the best resources for you. Nice, man. All right, Garrett. Appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, man. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Garrett White. He is up to a lot of things. Um, President and managing member of the White Real Estate Investment Firm. He is also... um, part of the White Oak Property Group where they acquire land for uh, Premier Hunting. Uh, He also recently was a part of the First Place Turf, um, a landscaping company that uh, uh, he he purchased uh, not long ago. But anyways, he was recently named Charlotte's Top 30 Under 30 Future Business Leaders of Charlotte, which is an amazing kind of um, accolade. So congrats to you, Garrett. Super excited for your journey and uh, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. (music) Oh, 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 oh,